We're now recording. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back. This is The Wrap, the hour of the week that you have been waiting for. I'm joined by two one of a kind. It's a pair, it's like a lucky pair. And uh, we're gonna see what five cards flip out over the next hour. Andy Cameron, how are you? Pretty good, mate. It was a, the intro was a little bit wild and a little bit tangential, but we got there in the end, mate. I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> we did. You know what? I think um, I think about a year ago you could have gotten away with horizontal stripes, but I'm not sure you can today. So you think I put on a bit of KG action, a bit of Nate, da- Nate Diaz? I think you have. I think you've, you've really let yourself go over the HSE, if I'm honest. Alex, good to, good to have you Mate, on I'm today. Confiscate my whiskey um, back. I will echo the sentiments of Dougal and uh, Andy's do- local doctor. Um, Andy probably does need to lay off the two-minute noodles a little bit, and also the uh, halal snack packs. Yeah, it's a bad day to be. Uh, it's always a bad day to be a box shape for Andy's round. Oh, that is so rich. You said you were going off them. Then the next day, mum comes in to find him chowing down on a barbecue. Dougal has a particular propensity for eating boxes shaped about six minutes before dinner time, but <laughs> that's, that's, neither here, that's neither here nor there. Well, today we've got, we got a nice big nice big wrap for you. We've got Domestic Story, which is a Q&A episode, which was hijacked, as I would say, by a few crazy feminists. Well, hijacked who, by the panel. Hijacked by the panel. Who were advocating political violence uh, and gender-based violence? It seemed very gender discriminatory. I will also throw in race. Were, uh, uh, just a bit of casual racism as well on your cure. I would say it's not casual. I'd yeah. say it's about the most open and direct racism you'll find today is towards uh, white people. There's a lot of fuck white people going around. Sorry for the sorry for the swearing, it's... grandma. But that seems to be a uh, uh, an often paired. Two words. Well, we, we'll Three hear words. the um, we'll hear the the clip later. But the the main offender yeah, here, the main popping. the main chick, says she goes around the world, she travels around the world just to say fuck the patriarchy. She says that's her job title. <laughs> it must be a lucrative career, and often it is. Um, and but I'm, you know what? I'm looking forward to hearing more about that, and especially so because Andy's the one who's done all the research on on that story for this week. So I've done some on it as well because I wanted to talk about how the media's covered it, which is actually a very you know what? And who's Mediaing the media. It's always a good question. Doesn't get asked enough. And you know what? On CHP, that's what you get. You get those extra niche questions. Yeah. To answer your question, who's mediaing the media? Looking right at them. Ain't that right team? Ain't that right team? (laughs) Our audience was smart enough to 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 to, to derive that themselves. (laughs) But Andy's made it clear for them, regardless. Well, I assume there's some of Andy's constituents that probably need that extra that extra helping hand. Yeah, the Grub Society, as Dougal likes to call them. Okay, international story is the Project Veritas leakage of the ABC knowing about Epstein, knowing about Clintons, not having threats from the from the palace, the Buckingham Palace, who is obviously wanting to keep all the bucking on on a down low. Uh, and uh, they didn't release it to protect Epstein and the uh, accused people. Down, play the bucking, up, play the ham. But uh, w- what I would say about this, it's going to be a huge story. And um, tune in because it's going to be towards the back end of the show. But um, if you want to find out, the, the, in this story, you'll get an interesting dichotomy of, of a mainstream journalist who actually wants to know the truth compared to the organization which they work for. And you often find that the, um, the interests of the journalistic organization actually differs quite substantially from the interests of the journalist. 
and the people in general. So we're going to explore that dynamic, a bunch of whole other dynamics. It's a dynamic show. We like to shift and move. High levels of dynamism. High levels of, uh, of dy- dynamism and agility and all the things that come with that. Freakish athleticism as well. Freakish athleticism. But to start the show, uh, paying homage to the, no pun intended, homage to the wives and girlfriends who have been liberated from their place in the home in the last 50 years, but paying homage nonetheless to the wives and girlfriends who tend to jump to conclusions without facts and evidence. In fact, they love jumping to conclusions, and as a symbol of solidarity with them, we will today also jump to conclusions as a feature part of the show, some say our feature segment. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. I assume there's a question following. Yeah, what's the moderator? No, there's not. Actually, there's not. It was um, just a quick summary of that segment, and we're moving on to the domestic. Link in the description to join the conclusion yeah, segment. It's actually in our um, exclusive Patreon viewers only. You get to yeah, see for, uh, all the, uh, for all the kids who are watching. All we need is that those uh, sixteen digits on the side of the card, in front of your mum's card. Yeah, John, uh, John, Wick, John Wick needs them to save Tomato Town. All it needs is the sixteen credit card numbers and the three numbers. On the back, <laughs> hurry up, save the day. <laughs> it's for the kids, but no, today we'll give you that premium content on the house, literally. Um, and uh, <laughs> we're on today, boys. We're on today, Alex. What's your what's the conclusion you've jumped to this week? I've jumped to, I've just come back from China and I've decided, um, you know, to jump in, in the car, the old, the old manual, and I think you're not a man until you, dr- until you can drive a manual. That's what I'm going to say. Very, um, very promoting harmful gender stereotypes. I think if to, if there is a show to do it, I think today's the show for it. Well, if we're if we're here to dismantle the patriarchy, you're doing a horrible job. That's what our good friend Mona is going to tell us to do. But you sound a bit like Mona. Well, I'm not going to say any jokes now because it'll be too <laughs> inappropriate. Um, well, moving on because that's a little bit weak. Moving swiftly onwards. Um, mine is. That to be a great leader in sports, you have to be good looking. <laughs> <laughs> what about Sachin Tendulkar? <laughs> He's probably good looking relative. relative. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> He's a good-looking guy. He's a good-looking guy. Relative to who? Relative to who? Well, I mean, non-good-looking. I would say, I would say, all the, the the ladies in India would love Sachin Tendulkar. But uh, okay, all right. Is that because of his bat or because of his looks? Four K no los dos, brother. Four K no los dos. Okay, right. that's, that's an interesting. That's actually an interesting one. Um, you know, what I'd be keen to hear. I'd be keen to do that one. I would be keen to do that one. My one is that. Um, you can eat very healthily on a low budget. Oh, weak. I think it... <laughs> so, you know it's quite funny? <laughs> Dougal's, Dougal's last two conclusions have been about food. <laughs> Damn, it was food related. Calling, calling me Nate Diaz. <laughs> Nate Diaz, Rick. We've got Derek Lewis over here. <laughs> We got um, Andy Ruiz, <laughs> heavyweight champion of the world. Yes, sir. <laughs> the audacity of Andy to snore through someone else's conclusion. I, I think that that'll, that'll go down. That might be on the soundboard, Andy. Andy, uh, sorry. We're going to be um, hopefully updating and improving the production value of 
the rap in particular, one of the things we're going to do is uh, put together a soundboard of all our favourite sounds and, and snippets. And if you've got and any suggestions... Andy Sainz. <laughs> well, I'm in control of the soundboard, actually, so it'll be at my discretion. <laughs> I'm in charge of the damn that show. Sounds like everybody's the worst nightmare because <laughs> it's going to be full of sayings that have never been said before. The roller coaster of knows what it means. <laughs> but um, what I would say is, if you've got any of Andy's favourite quotes or favourite quotes in general, see if you can find it or, or, or tell us about it in the comments below. In the in the comments and and um, we'll try to put it together on Andy's channel. Well, we will return to that at the end of the segment. But Andy is going to tell us what happened on Q and A this past week and why it sparked so much outrage or. White just sparked a whole lot of white males to get angry about nothing and protect their privileged place in the patriarchy. Well, let's get right into it then, eh? Um, so there was an episode of Q&A last week which aired on Monday, which was broadcast from Melbourne in partnership with the Wheeler Centre's Feminist Ideas Festival broadside. I don't really know what that means, but... Sounds like Chinese drip torture for normal people, is what that sounds like. Well, it's... <laughs> It's, it sounds pretty brutal. I'm not sure why. Well, I mean, we don't want to disparage a whole movement. There may be actually some genuinely good ideas. And if they well, are, in fact, talking about the genuine oppression of women that does occur throughout the world, then absolutely I think we should hear about it. But if they are only talking about what happens the, in what the inner city of Melbourne... What you're about to listen to... Judging by the, the fire-haired yeah. sewerage mouth that, that, that appeared on the ABC... <laughs> the gutter mouth. going to this movement. Gutter mouth. Gutter mouth moaner, as we're going to call it. <laughs> Well, the uh, the entirely non-male panel featured high-profile feminists. The main one being the way the main one. It is presumptuous to say that they're all non-male. Well, they might have been non-male at the time. Or presumptuous. Well, we don't know if they're assumptuous. Uh, we don't <laughs> assumptuous. Is, is that a word? I think it is. Well, there's you, presumptuous. I know that. I and there is to make assumptions. I don't think there's I feel like assumptuous. Makes sense. Uh, assumptuous. I know it sounds a bit like scrumptious. <laughs> <laughs> This little scrumptious fiery ball is going to tell us how to dismantle the patriarchy. Yeah, so it featured... uh, The the main one who got herself into hot water was Egyptian-American writer Mona El-Tahawi. There was also Indigenous screenwriter Nayuka Gori. I'm going to dig into her about at the end of this segment. She deserves a serve. She's on the chopping block. Uh, Journalist Jess Hill, business leader Hannah Asafiri, and anti-ageism campaigner Ashton Applewhite. If you want to waste 12 minutes of your life, (laughs) go watch her TED Talk. (laughs) Ashton Applewhite. (laughs) 12 minutes on ageism. (laughs) Okay, boomer. Okay, boomer. The comments. Spam it so hard. It's the worst 12 minutes. I watched it this afternoon. I felt like I aged (laughs) a lot more than 12 minutes. But so, yeah. So it's ahead of the Broadside Festival, hosted by the Wheeler Centre. ABC Managing Director David Anderson said the intention of the panel was to, quote, present challenging ideas from high-profile feminists. But he acknowledged the program was, quote, provocative in regard to the language used and some of the views presented. An ABC spokeswoman confirmed the broadcast had received around 200 complaints in relation to the episode, while the communications watchdog, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, had at least 50 more. ABC sources said while some complaints were about the use of strong language, it mostly focused on whether or not the panellists had encouraged violence. So Mona El-Tahawi introduced herself as... Well, not introduced herself. She 
describes herself as the person here who travels the world to say, fuck the patriarchy. So that's a little bit abrasive to start. You know what proves the patriarchy more than anything else? Is a feminist who gets to fly around the world using the F word on taxpayer funded networks uh, to bring it down. That's the best evidence for the patriarchy, I think. Yeah, there's real, real oppression going on there. But she, she continued. She continued to wrap Scott Morrison together with Egypt's Abdel Fattah El Sisi and Donald Trump in a package of patriarchal authoritarians ruling by violence. Right. So that's that's how she started. And this here, we're about to play a little clip for you. Is the uh, the meat and mash, the meat and potatoes. The words of, from the horse's mouth. The words from the horse's mouth. Here we go, Mona El Tahawi. I want patriarchy to fear feminism. And there is a chapter in my book on violence. There is a chapter on, on my book about white women who voted for Trump and white women who accept crumbs from patriarchy because they allow their whiteness to trump their gender. I'm fully aware of this. But at the end of the day, even those white women have to recognize that nothing protects them from patriarchy. Nothing. For me, as a feminist, the most important thing is to destroy patriarchy. And all of this talk about how if you talk about violence, you're just becoming like the men. My question, so your question is a really important one, but I'm going to answer it with another question. How long must we wait for men and boys to stop murdering us, to stop beating us, and to stop raping us? How many rapists must we kill? Not the state, because I disagree with the death penalty, and I want to get rid of incarceration, and I'm with you on the police. With you on the police being that she wants to dissolve the police. Continuing. So, I want women themselves. I want, as a woman, I'm asking, how many rapists must we kill until men stop raping us? So, Mona, them's fighting words. Them's doobie fighting words. I think we can all agree. Um, headline reaction, DC. Well, in your question of when you're allowed to use violence, generally the accepted answer is you're allowed to be violent towards somebody who's raping you. You're allowed to use violence in that case and among other cases when people are being violent towards you. What you're not allowed to do is be violent towards people who are not raping you and not committing violence against you. Because you are a male, I can't uh, ascribe the general male population as raping me and therefore attack you because you're not actually attacking me. It's made up. It's fairyland. You can't be violent towards people who are not being violent to you is basically the golden rule in society. And the funny thing is, is I know, what's it, what's the Egyptian president's name she mentioned? A Sisi or something? Oh, Sisi, I think. I mean, I bet he's watching that and just cowering in his boots at this woman coming to tear down the patriarchy. I mean, look, he doesn't care at all about, about, about this girl, but um, the bottom line is you can't promote violence towards people who aren't being violent. Um... And to think you can is to then enable all the other people who think they can use violence. Like, there's definitely white supremacists out there who think they can be violent towards feminists who say silly things like this. Right? And they're, they're playing the same game. They both do the same thing. What do you think, Alex? Um, yeah, I think she was, she was pretty well off the mark. But um, interesting, interesting point, I thought, towards the end of it. She, she's kind of, she says, um, I'm uh, in favour of kind of dissolving the police. I'm not in favour of the death penalty. Um, 
she's kind of got this anarchist complexion within her um, in like this revolutionary um, aspect to this modern feminism but the the problem is is that if you don't keep the existing institutions if, if you actually if you did get rid of all the or, or, and you know she, she, she doesn't like incarcerating people so I don't know where all these um, rapists are gonna are gonna go um, unless you kill them um, if you get to a point where there's less rules less regulations less institutional dominance kind of um, enforcing and molding every day of life you actually go back to a more um, traditional way of living or a more historical way of living which would be a more uh, more male dominated society the less regulation and less um, kind of artificial um, restrictions that you would put in it you, it, it, you would end up in a grudge match which would be men versus women and the biologically stronger which would be the men would end up on top so you are by in fact kind of ensuring that the that these males who commit violence have nowhere to go you're actually increasing the likelihood that males are going to dominate society anyway it's counterintuitive it's a little bit silly um you know if she, if that's her, also her spiel, i can then go guarantee i absolutely guarantee she does not know what real violence looks like and i hope for her sake and for her family's sake and people who actually care about her that you know, and, and I care about her so far as she's another human being and, and everything. But she never does experience real violence because real violence is chaotic. It's destructive. People die in real violence. Uh, and, you know, real violence is when people get left bleeding out on the street, right? That's what real violence is. And that's what she's actually advocating for. Let's be honest. Like, we don't want to use violence as like almost like a euphemism. It's like people getting out crowbars and knives and guns uh, and... Uh, hitting someone until they stop twitching that's what violence is and i don't think she actually understands that and if she did i think she would do absolutely everything in her power to stop violence uh in the first place um but also also the thing is um you know the idea that that, that males have some kind of uh, adopt some kind of reverence towards rapists just simply isn't true the people who get treated the worst in prison are rapists Rapists and uh, uh, child molesters. Yeah, almost the same thing. Almost the same thing. But those those um, th those two people get treated the worst in prisons. In mm -hmm. fact, if you wanted to send uh, a, a rapist prison to laws. anywhere um, for kind of extrajudicial beatings, it would be prison. Mm. It would be prison. They prison have to like make up with the crimes they did so that the other inmates don't find out. Exactly. Exactly. And like, I, I'm I'm not sure. You know. If she's assuming then that these women who are being raped are then going to rise up as kind of an ins insurrection, extrajudicial um, kind of killing machine and take out all these rapists without the assistance of men, um, then I don't think it's feasible. But if she is going to include the idea that men are also going to rise up and kind of beat these rapists to death, then she's also acknowledging the fact that men can be kind of um, benevolent and um, uh, good-natured. So then the patriarchy then, by consequence, is both uh, the, 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 the protector as well as the thing she's trying to destroy. So it doesn't really make sense what she's talking about. And it's, it's obviously one of those things where, like, once you kind of get on a bandwagon of, I'm going to destroy the patriarchy, like, because it's an intangible thing, it's like it's a social construct, like, you can kind of go anywhere with it without facing any real kind of repercussions. You can kind of call anything sexist, anything a kind of um, symptom of the patriarchy. But when you actually look at the way in which it would actually be carried out, your means by, uh, by which of dismantling it, it often doesn't make any, any sense at all. And this is exactly what's happened. It's, it's silly, and she's, um, I think she's, she's totally off, off her rocker. Yeah, I think that, like, of course we don't condone any type of uh, sexual assault, rape, anything like that. But when you, but in, if we address 
the issue as a group of people rather than just a bad person we alienate that whole group within society so the white males especially which are the ones that mona goes after the vast great majority of them aren't rapists they don't go around sexually assaulting women it's a handful that are really like bad that are bad people um, um, and the truth is, if you wanted to look at, at violence and rape statistics and judge them on race, I think you would find some pretty terrible conclusions, which would not be the same as what our friend is trying to promote. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so Mona... Uh, I want to talk about, before we finish the story, I don't know if we're finishing the story here, but I want to talk about some how the media has handled this. So I looked up on Google, just did a Google search, ABC Feminist, to try and just get the articles around this story. The top stories that Google suggested to me is, one, the Q&A episode that's been removed by the ABC and investigated by the woman's agenda, uh, and two, Q&A under fire for pulling the controversial feminist episode by Junkie, okay? So the two most reputable news outlets that Google promotes are the Women's Agenda and Junkie, who, uh, as far as I'm aware, could be uh, in my bottom three or, or bottom five uh, news outlets. But objectively, um, probably in top five most feminist. Top five most feminist. And then you have one of the titles is Q&A Under Fire for Pulling Controversial Feminist Episode. Nobody really got them in, sent a complaint for them pulling the episode except for maybe the panellists. People complain that it promoted violence. Okay, I I would actually put a complaint in that the or that the episode would get pulled that got pulled. I, I'm against it being pulled. Well, can I say I don't like it. I don't like it being pulled either. But the fact that that's the headline is totally misrepresentative yeah. of, of the 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 facts that that were at play. Sure. Um. So then you had uh, an article by. Uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about a, a couple more instances of, of how the media covered it. You had <laughs> Mona. Uh, Eltaway, Eltawi, Eltahawi is Elta, how I've been saying Eltahawi, it. Uh, tweeted, when white men whine and complain, investigations are swift. Does the ABC investigate when right-wing ex- extremists and fascist panellists upset viewers like Steve Bannon or Blair's Cottrell? I mean, Blair Cottrell. I think I know the answer. Now, the first thing we should note is that when Blair Cottrell went on Sky News, I don't think he's ever been on the ABC and he's never promoted violence as, as, far, as far as I'm aware. I could be wrong. Uh, is that uh, so? When Sky News broadcast that interview, um, uh, the Sky News uh, panelist got fired, and he was never uh, back on Sky again. Um, that episode got taken down, and so that's not a taxpayer-funded news organisation. That's a private news organisation where the anchor, uh, where, the, where the commentator who brought him on got fired, and and the episode got taken down. So to say that investigations like that don't happen is untrue, and I would also say Blair Cottrell, uh, what what he did is not nearly as bad as what um, uh, our friend on, on ABC did, Mona. Um, and I don't think Blair's ever been on the ABC. Now, Steve Bannon, Steve Bannon was the campaign strategist for America's president, okay? There's nobody less extremist than somebody who is ideologically exactly aligned with the country's leader, right? Who got uh, voted in democratically, right? There's at least... 50% of the population who roughly agree with him, right? That's, that's by definition, not an extremist, okay? That's a, 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 a quite a mainstream. It's a mainstream, mainstream. Is, is what that is, okay? Now, let's talk about the BuzzFeed article, okay? So, the BuzzFeed article starts with, it talks about Indigenous writer Nayuka Gori. She was one of the panellists on the episode. 
commented that being articulate and polite in the face of oppression only gets you so far. And this is a quote from her. We've tried 230 plus years to appeal to colonizers' morality, which doesn't seem to exist. I think violence is okay because if someone is trying to kill you, there's no amount of, oh, but I'm really clever, you know, I'm really articulate. No amount of that is going to save you. So yeah, let's burn stuff. Okay, so firstly, she is pretty racist, it seems, dividing people up into kind of white people, black people. Um, but more broadly, uh, although our friend Mona is trying to actually backpedal and say she didn't promote violence, you have one of the other panelists saying, uh, you know, hold up girl, we do promote violence and it's fully okay because these people are bad enough to promote violence. And when you throw in words like colonizers, which make people guilty for uh, actions of people 230 years ago, uh, and that's your excuse for violence, there's no end to that game. It's a terrible game to play. It's a racist game to play. It's a sexist game to play. Uh, and you would not like it if people played that game towards you because you would lose. Um, now, Further, I want to talk about an SBS article, which was uh, titled ABC Announces Probe into Feminist Q&A Episode After Audience Complaints. Okay? It's not until the sixth paragraph that any talk of violence is actually mentioned. They talk about thought-provoking opinions, uh, nothing about violence. Okay? They said in the sixth paragraph, uh, the ABC decided to investigate the program in which some panellists used, quote, offensive language and called for or endorsed violence, okay? Not until the sixth paragraph. The endorsed violence was the whole story. The reason why I bring this article up in particular is because SBS is another fully taxpayer-funded news organization. Uh, and so not only do you have the ABC who promoted this in the first place, or they've taken it down, it seems like this violence promotion or violence ex uh, excuse making, as long as it's for feminists or social justice warriors or left-wing people, is totally fine, right? And that's a theme that runs through uh, both of our taxpayer news-funded organisations, right? What do you think? Yeah, well, I would say... Um, <clears throat> uh, I think that the, the, the bias you see in the media is not always totally transparent. Um, and one of the things you can pick up on <clears throat> is often when you actually have kind of reasonable understanding of the way in which a story has come together or the key facts underpinning a story, you can actually determine um, how bad the bias is um, by the way in which uh, news organisations or even Google search engines uh, rank the stories. And so when you, when you look at uh, how the stories are ranked, you'll often see the stories that have a particular slant through omission um, rather than just straight out bias. Like that SBS story is as biased as you get. To get to, to lead the actual meat and potatoes of the story, the reason the actual kind of, um, you know, axis mundi of the story to the sixth paragraph for such a kind of consequential and hot social issue just demonstrates how entrenched and how ensconced uh, these taxpayer-funded organisations are um, with these radical left-wing progressive ideas. Um, I would also say, number two, I... I they, I, I, I don't really think they really need to launch an investigation. I don't know what they're going to be investigating. Um, the transcript is there. Uh, either it is kind of an uh, incitement to violence and that person faces repercussions or there isn't. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that there is basically a, an incitement to violence. Um, number three, I don't, but however, I don't think the thing should be taken down. And the reason is, it's what we've always talked about, is that it's far better that ordinary Australians get to see where their taxpayer dollars are going and also what these actual, what the ideas behind the people who go to these kind of, um, 
you know, when you see like the festival for dangerous ideas and things like that, what actually happens there, um, it is far better that Australian taxpayers get to see this and we get to shed a light on what this third wave feminism is all about and how and how these third wave feminists actually describe ordinary working Australians. I mean, her characterization to lump in um, Scott Morrison, Donald Trump and the Egyptian um, uh, president, I'm not sure if president or prime minister, as all having similar ideological standpoints, as well as all being incredibly extremist, just sh just shows how ridiculous the whole thing is. And it's so, it's so much better for us and for ordinary taxpayers just to see how stupid and, and how ridiculous these assumptions and, and conclusions are um, than kind of having it shelved in the backwaters of the ABC, where innuendo, like the SBS, gets to paint a picture of what the, the Q&A actually was like. So for someone who didn't see the episode, it's been taken down, and they go to the SBS and they say, they just read the first three paragraphs and say, oh, well, nothing really happened. Um, nothing's really wrong. There's no real point here. ABC's just doing its job of in, investigating and kind of uh, looking at all different viewpoints. But I think if you leave it up there, people can go look for themselves and um, everyone's way better off, basically. That's what I would say about it. When, um, when Plutarch writes about uh, how Julius Caesar went up and down pacing before deciding to cross the Rubicon, if you took that on face value, you'd think it's this really dramatic scene, right? But when you know that Plutarch is an infamous moralizer and he goes out of his way to like, create a moral lesson and to show uh, the morality of humanity rather than actually focusing on the facts then you know that the scene isn't actually that intense. The problem here with the Australian media is that there's no, there's no warning, there's no disclaimer to take it with a grain of salt because they act as if they're, rather than being a moraliser or trying to pr present a point, they act as if they are telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But the truth is that you can't handle the truth, SBS and ABC, because they always put a spin on something and as, like, to sift your way through the fake news it's a hard it's a hard thing even though this isn't technically fake news because it's something that did happen the bias is so obvious as Alex and you have already talked about but we need to be real with ourselves of where the bias is coming from even you, you can get it from either side of the political spectrum but here the taxpayer funded media sources are so slanted to the left but most people like won't really see that or accept that as what it is um, I would, but Andy, I would, I would jump in there. I would say that this is fake news. This is absolutely fake news. To 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 have such a categorical denial of the actual reality of the, of the story and of the issue, and to somehow painted it as if it was kind of an ABC made some kind of a slight technical error, and on the show there was nothing really to see. That's fake news. Particularly when the argument for the ABC is that it provides an independent kind of auditor, an independent account of events that are outside of corporate interest. Basically, because of the internet, um, there's no real kind of economic and, and viable justification for having the ABC to kind of distribute to rural areas. There basically isn't. But there is, the internet. there is basically the argument, though, that it does provide some kind of independent watchdog um, outside of corporate interests. However, if, the, if there is, you know, and, and what is obviously at play here is that they're... W they may be outside of corporate interests, but they're not outside of their own interests or outside of their own um, kind of ideological persuasions. Well, they are, they, they're, they're not outside of corporate interests so far as uh, the government is the best way to fund an ideological agenda. That's true. That is true. And look, that's true, but our traditional corporate interests, yeah, I would say. Sure. Um, so uh, that by doing this, they're actually defeating their own purpose and they're, they're scoring a massive own goal. And that they, you know... I like to see it on replays, which is why they should have the program for everyone to see.
That's a good point. I think they should have it up. I I do think you know they should have it up. And it, the pro, the problem is is that they just have vastly different standards for people of different political persuasions, right? Using the force <laughs> back here. The force. Um, it's the BDE swirling around. But yes, I think I think that's I think I think we've done a good job on that one. I think Mona is moaning currently. She gets I, a beta male of the week nomination. I think it's a, and you're not, you know, but actually, one, Frank Kelly does as well, the host. Yeah, because the because if we look at the other guy, Tony Jones. Tony, Tony Jones. Yeah. If Tony Jones, step out. if Tony Jones had Blair Cottrell on, and Blair Cottrell uh, espoused views equally as extreme as what Mona's were, and Mona's were pretty extreme to do away with uh, um, uh, prisons and incarcerations. Um, and to also kind of just um, promote violence, pr- promote towards, violence men. towards men. If we were to flip that and Blair Cottrell says, no, 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 we're going to put everyone who says something wrong in prison um, and we're also just going to um, yeah, just just smack up some feminists, yeah. then, which is, I would, I would regard that as basically the other side of that same coin. Uh, and Tony Jones just said, well, those are fighting words, aren't they? Yeah, them's, um, a, them's be fighting words, Mona. Q&A, Q&A would get canned. Every producer on the show would get sacked. Tony Jones would basically... They'd all get, they'd all get sued under, sued and probably, under 18C and or There's something. a chance they could be in prison. So um, the ABC needs to take a look at itself. Not for... Ha- I don't think actually having the panels that bad, but for not calling, not having anyone to be able to call it out at that point, I think just... Just shows the issue. I don't even mind that they didn't even call it out because I understand it's like a live show. You, it might even have been a mistake, and the host says, "You know what? I would have liked to have called it out." But the way that it's been covered by all the other news sources, including taxpayer funded, shows that it was not a slip up. It was, it was basically as planned as you get, or just at least run the mill, not outside of traditional thought in those organisations, mm. not outside of kind of mainstream. Um, it's just what you believe, and some maybe sometimes the Australian public's not exactly ready to hear it. But this is this is this what is where we we're going. This is inside. where we're going. This is where the future is, and it's kind of you're either with it or you're the not. Future is feminist. Future is feminist. Boomer. Okay. Rise in solidarity like that. But Mona El okay. Tahawi well, beta male. Now look at the international story. This is one that was exceptionally popular uh, on the internet, but you could also have totally missed it if you just follow mainstream news organisations uh, where it was in their best interest not to cover it. Well, it's a uh, fantastic segue from our just a little bit of a slap on uh, other organisations for fake news because this is classic fake news and bias is not always what you put in, it's what you leave out and this is absolutely critical. So Project Veritas, which is the kind of um, truth-seeking organisations established by journalist James O'Keefe, dropped an absolute bombshell this week when it released inside a hot mic footage of ABC, so that's American ABC journalist, Amy Robach, admitting uh, off air, like in, in a kind of a, a break segment or whatever it was, that she had the evidence, uh, much of the same evidence that's recently come out about um, Jeffrey Epstein three years ago. And she wanted to pursue the story, however, got kiboshed by upper management at the ABC. So she was caught on camera saying the following. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate I will that we that also quashed the story. 
and then um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. Uh, she told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. So there you have a little bit of a snippet. So they had. Or, or uh, they had uh, testimony that had been corroborated against uh, Jeffrey Epstein. They had details relating to Bill Clinton being on the, on the plane in question. So what Jeffrey Epstein would do, and Jeffrey Epstein was a Wall Street financier um, who had an incredible network of political ties. Perhaps he may have been at the he's time a big donor. He may well, he's not a big. He may have been the most politically uh, connected person out directly outside of politics in the world. Basically, he had a private island, he had a jet called the Low Leader Express, and he had a massive mansion, I think it was worth about $50 million, uh, in New so York City. It was a penthouse suite. It was like penthouse one of suite. big ones. And so this was one of the, the, uh, a massive story. It was a massive story. And so when he was finally arrested, and there was a massive lead-up, and it's too, it's too arduous to go through, but I have, written, I have written an article on it, if you want to check out the CHP to get the lead-up to this, um, about kind of what happened... Um, he was basically arrested on, on child pornography and kind of um, soliciting underage prostitution charges this year. And then he was moved to a, a, a jail cell in Manhattan um, while he was awaiting trial and where he was going to um, testify. Um, and so there was all this speculation as soon as he'd been arrested that basically because he had so much valuable information on all these important people, including Bill Clinton, who had flown on his jet, according to flight logs, 37 times, um, he'd been photographed numerous times with Prince Andrew. Um, he had the biggest political connection, a group of uh, political connections in the world. And, and he actually knew Donald Trump, that is true. Um, because he knew all of these people, and he almost certainly had uh, blackmail-worthy information on all of these people, that as soon as he had been arrested, um, he would be arrested, basically someone would try and cap him. Someone would try and top him. And so that was the speculation. And then, of course, earlier this year, that's exactly what happened. He died in his jail cell. Now, there are um, allegations that he had been murdered. However, people who say that he's been murdered have been widely touted in the media as conspiracy theorists, particularly by traditional kind of liberal establishment media organisations. Basically, if you suggest that Richard, uh, sorry, that Jeffrey Epstein uh, didn't kill himself and was in fact killed by the deep state or people who are allies of the, of, um, the establishment, um, then you are a conspiracy theorist. But wait till you hear what Amy Robach, a journalist on ABC, which is one of the most mainstream journalistic organisations in the world, had to say. So do I think he was killed? A hundred percent. Yes, I do. Because he made his whole living blackmailing people. There were a lot of men in those planes, a lot of men who visited that island, a lot of powerful men who came into that apartment. I knew immediately. <clears throat> and they made it seem as though he made that suicide attempt two weeks earlier, but his lawyers claimed that he was roughed up by his cellmate around the neck. That was all like to plant the seed. And then that's why I really believe it. Like, really believe it. So there you have it. So that's a mainstream journalist at a mainstream organisation admitting, at least saying that she believed that he would he was killed rather than um, rather than had an actual rather than suicided basically, um, and so 
she, when she gets caught off air, what you have is this massive dichotomy between what journalists, for whatever reason, at these mainstream organisations are allowed to say compared to what they actually want to say. So when we talk about the freedom of the press, the freedom of the press, you know, is supposed to ensure that journalists like this person are protected. But it's what's obviously apparent is that these establishment media organisations are in fact so entrenched in the deep state and in the establishment themselves that there's a there's a dichotomy, there's a dual, there's a plurality that occurs between what the journalists' true intentions are and what the uh, journalistic organisations are actually trying to do. Dukes, what's your hot take? I think it's it's big because people try and ignore it, and that's why that's why I made the point at the start that this is such a big story uh, that most people who are politically tapped in to real news sources would have been. Uh, this is a story they would have been following for years. But if you are average Joe who goes to your day job, comes home to cook dinner, you know, have the kids, you've got all your important stuff to do, uh, and you just trust in the mainstream media outlets to bring you your news, you would have, it would have slipped totally over your head that one of the, the Wall Street financiers who's politically connected uh, up to his eyeballs has... Uh, as far as we can tell, uh, facilitated child prostitution, uh, not just for himself, but at least it's it's very, very conceivable, even likely, for other like very well-connected top dogs, including Bill Clinton and Prince Andrew. You then have the journalist who was uh, investigating the story, who, uh, at who received threats from Buckingham Palace. I mean, that's a front page. That should be a front page story, regardless of what, what, what news out there. For weeks. For weeks, right? And what have we actually heard from Buckingham Palace about Prince Andrew? Nothing's really happened to no, him yet, has he? I, they're, no. saying, they're saying it's an individual problem for Prince Andrew to deal with. And we're kind of separate from it, but it's like, this guy is as, it's as guilty as they come without having been proven guilty by, by a court yet. Prince Andrew had, has actually already been mentioned, already been mentioned in formal court filings surrounding this case. Has been personally mentioned. Yeah, and he's he's. This is a case of being protected by the palace, by the deep state, and you know what? I can understand the palace's um, hesitancy to uh, to kind of bring him forward and throw him under the bus because what he would know about the palace uh, that that we don't know would be absolutely exceptional. Well, it's yep. just it's just a circle of blackmail, then, isn't it? Where no, we can't let Epstein get out because he's got all this dirt on us. Oh he's, no, we can't let Prince Andrew. News. We can't let it, Prince Andrew um, get done because he's got dirt on us. So I'm sure there's. I'm sure Prince Andrew might be looking around the corner for. Um, you know, there might be a suicide noose that that somehow wraps around his neck while he's not aware of it. Or maybe he just ends up back on uh, Epstein's private island. Maybe he goes and does that. Scumbags. Well, Amy Robach has since um, issued a statement along with um, the ABC. Um, the, the, the highlight is, um, quote, I was caught in a private moment of frustration and was upset that an important interview I had conducted with Virginia Roberts didn't air because we could not obtain sufficient corroborating evidence. So what's, 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 what's interesting, though, is that similar allegations are actually have been made about the Harvey Weinstein story because Harvey Weinstein was so politically connected was a, uh, has been photographed with Hillary Clinton numerous times um, that, the, that the same process happened. Basically, if you're friends with enough people and you know enough about everyone, it's almost an, a, a self-replicating insurance policy. So they'll say, yeah, you can, you can come do all this debaucherous stuff with us, um, but we're going to need some info on you in case you decide you're going to turn it We're going to need you to make the um, social justice thing mainstream in Hollywood. Yeah. 
<coughs> it's those same parties that that act like they're fighting against this type of stuff, like Hollywood especially. The enablers. The Democrat, the Democratic Party, who the deep state the establishment it's kind of but for me i think you know on a personal level it's kind of bittersweet because you know we often see kind of these uh, mainstream media organizations and we say all the journalists are crooked all of them are biased but there's obviously some of them still even in the upper echelons of these establishment organizations who are still really actually do have some kind of journalistic integrity but it is the uh, top of the organization who is pushing back um, so obviously there are still journalists within the within kind of establishment organisations who are trying, but I think um, Amy Robach had ma has made a choice. She made a choice that she didn't want to go to another news outlet to like WikiLeaks or some other organisation to publish this. She didn't view that story as important enough to um, go somewhere else to risk her own job for it, which I think is shows a little bit of cowardice. I think, particularly considering how many people Epstein hurt and how many lives he destroyed. Um, and it's also sad to me, like, how many other stories that we do not know about have been squashed in the same way? Because as, as even Robach said, she got told no one knows who Epstein is. They sure, and it's one of the things I'm talking about with Palace. It's like, we only know this... We only know this... Uh, about Prince Andrew and about Epstein and about a range of other things like Clinton emails um, from deep state actors being super dumb and super careless. Now, if you take if you take the assumption that most people at the head of the CIA or most people at the head of the US government or most people at the head of the royal family are actually pretty smart people, it's not much of it that actually slips past and gets into the mainstream or gets into alternative politics. It's got to be the overwhelming vast majority of crooky, shady dealings that never get mentioned, right? That never get mentioned. Yeah. And so the tip of the ice, if the tip of the iceberg is this bad, it's very hard to gauge what, what the rest of it is. Um, and I think like the extent to which the palace is right now is protecting a at least likely pedophile in the public's eyes is about as strong evidence for that as you could find. For sure. But I would say, and we should give credit where credit's due, Alex Jones has been reporting on this oh, so why for years. For years. Probably since before you were born. Definitely before the New Millennium Celebrations, I would say. Which were, by the way, the best celebrations ever. Of the Millennium. What did you think of them, Andy? Funny one, eh, Dan? Back at it again. You were just a twinkle in your father's eye. <laughs> but, um... Dog. We should give a shout out to Alex Jones. Um, Alex Jones, go. Because Alex Jones, who is apparently the king conspiracy theorist, he's, what he's been saying has basically been validated by an upper echelon mainstream journalist. And this is, I think, what I'm hoping is the as media becomes more diasporic, as we move kind of away from a couple of big centralised uh, hunky organisations into... Playground brutes. Playground brutes into more kind of sophisticated niche... Um, like CHP. Like, yeah, the separated um, distributors that these mainstream organisations are actually going to have to become more truthful. It becomes getting, competitive. It's going to get regulated by, by, by competition, hopefully. Um, and the, the only other thing I was going to say is, like, put yourself in the hypothetical situation that you're Alex Jones and you have intelligence which you believe is credible enough that there is an international pedophile ring composed of uh, members of the royal family, past presidents, 
Wall Street Finance is. I mean, the guts you have to have to actually speak publicly about it and then to actually make the case to people as if that sounds like a credible allegation to make is exceptional. And then to be saying it for X number of years, maybe X number of decades before you actually get proven right and then are still regarded as a conspiracy theorist, despite being the only person that's talked about it for the past 20 years, is, is exceptional. That, Alex Jones should have his own show on Fox News. Like, if we're honest, he should be, he should be, him and Tucker Carlson should both have their own show on Fox News. And, you know, you can say that, you know, when Alex Jones talks about interdimensional aliens and stuff, that he, he may lose you. And you know what, that may be fair enough. But if you're talking about all the other stuff, you know, uh, he's the guy. There is a reason why he would, he's basically, before Joe Rogan, he was the podcast. Um, you know, Alex Jones would get more views than all the major networks. And I mean, there's combined. a good chance that Alex Jones has contributed to Joe Rogan being the podcast because Alex's episodes with Joe have blown up every time he's gone yeah, on. And on and on Alex's episodes with Joe, um, Joe tells him that you need to have someone with you when you speak so you don't sound as silly. And so, well, he like, sometimes has like PJW on. Yeah, yeah. So, like, but the thing is with the thing is with Alex is that when he says things that seem so incredible and so just so far from the truth, it takes away from the stuff that actually could be credible. Yeah, but one one of the interesting things, and then the, and the point that Joe uh, that Alex uh, often brought up when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, he said, Joe, you know all of this. Joe, most of the stuff that I'm telling you, you already know. And in fact, uh, about some of this stuff, you know more than I do. So the thing is, like, the impetus has to be on people to have courage and to have guts and to be able to stand up to these people because a lot of the time the information is already out there. Like, you look at the Gulf of Tonkin incident. That, everyone, that's there. That's irre- irrefutable data that is there. And that should be, that should be the gold standard for how we, how we establish foreign policy and how we relate to our neighbours, specifically kind of in, in, a, in a naval capacity at the very least, but especially when kind of trusting the intelligence agencies for going to war. Some of the only people I've ever heard was a um, um, guy from the, from the Interceptor, Glenn Greenwald. He's one of the only guys who, 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 who actually cites the Gulf of Tonkin incident. He goes on CNN and he says, why would we trust what the CIA say? Why on earth would we? Sure. We've seen with and, and so people need guts. Not even just there's there's it's not just one incident though. There's heaps of instances. Sure. Like you have a look at the the rape of Nanjing incident in China, which perpetrated by Japanese soldiers during during World War Two. They went in and killed three hundred thousand people in a month and and just raped the whole city. Um, <clears throat> while America was trying to rebuild Japan after World War Two, and I think called like under the Marshall Plan of economic redevelopment of Japan, they wanted American influence in Japan. And while China had become a communist, uh, America and Japan propagated that the rape of Nanjing was a conspiracy theory for a long time, that it was just Chinese communist lies and conspiracy. Uh, and it's today we kind of, we realise that I'm sure America would recognise today that it happened, but they would be very uncomfortable and squeamish talk about how they tried to suppress it or, or push it off as a conspiracy theory during the time when people actually needed to know about it. Mm. Yeah, and the FBI and the CIA, both in South America, like in particular Nicaragua, and then as well in the Middle East, like there's so much shady business that goes on that we know for a fact, and yet we still eat the same stuff that they're feeding us all the time. It's pretty damn ridiculous if you ask me. Anyway, it's an interesting digression, and we can hear more about it. Um, you know, we're, we're tempted to do a little bit more on conspiracy theories as we move forward, because it's probably some of the most interesting content that we do. Um but I think that basically wraps it. I mean, we've gone from one taxpayer-funded organisation who's 
well, two really, who demonstrated a substantial lack of journalistic integrity. We moved to an American corporate giant who demonstrated, I would say, a, a fairly similar, if not worse, demonstration of um, journalistic debauchery or Tom debauchery Fu- Tom Fu- tomfoolery or, or shenanigans. A disgusting disregard for truth. A disgusting disregard for, for truth. Um, big shout out to um, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas for exposing that. I think that's you know, important. Ja- you know um, James James O'Keefe's first story where he exposed uh, this Acorn. Acorn. He did that when he was like twenty one. Yeah. And the girl who helped him, I should know her name, was like nineteen. Yeah. And Gutsy he did it. Guy. He did it with. Um, he did it with uh, a pimp jacket he bought from the local thrift shop and a cam and a camcorder, and that's like all he had. And he brought down a total government agency, which resulted in a like fully one hundred percent vote to defund it by the government of America. Yeah, absolutely. And like you know, it just goes to show that there is a sense, there is a complacency that occurs when when kind of these big governmental agencies, as well as kind of establishment agencies, are so entrenched and have been so for, for so long, is that they are they are bound to stuff up and they're bound stuff is um, bound to slip through the cracks. So no yawning, power moves only. Okay, let's um, bring it back. Well, do we want to do we want to give out uh, something that we haven't done in a little while? The Beta, Beta Mail Award. Okay. We have, we ABC have... as an organisation who may or may not be gender fluid gets a Beta Mail of the Week nomina- nomination. Massive nomination. Uh, Mona El Tahawi definitely gets one. Frank Kelly. Frank Kelly gets one. Well, ABC in both Australia and America. Oh, that's an interesting spin on it. I think that has to be the winner is ABC. ABC writ large. ABC writ large. I don't know what that means. In general. It's okay. why if you repeat it. Sounds like <laughs> you repeat it. About. I think I know what it means. There's no chance I don't. <laughs> okay, beta mail of the week goes to them. I'd like us to get a beta mail of the week trophy and start a great yeah. name. Mona, the Mona juicy, gets The it. juicy small yay. The juicy yeah. small yay beta mail of the week trophy. Mona gets a seriously high recommendation though. We'll, we'll, follow, we'll keep following her along. See if we can get her in here in the next few weeks. Yeah, we should call her. Yeah, see how, how you doing? Come through, little mama. <laughs> <laughs> um, but right. yeah, what, do you, what do you reckon she would actually say to that? Like, what do you what do you reckon would actually happen if you actually called her and said? Well, if she could do what she wanted, wanted she'd come kill me. Did she come find me and kill me? And then the patriarch. Yeah, I am. Um, I am the patriarch. Okay. I am the yeah, patriarch. We don't, <laughs> <laughs> we don't leave loose ends here. So going back to to how we open the show with the jumping conclusions, Andy is going to lay out the quite interesting case, and not a one we usually we usually have, um, of a great conclusion, which is that uh, you have is it you have, what is it you have to, to be a great leader in sports? You have to be good looking. And I'd come back to your Sachin Tendulkar uh, uh, argument. He wasn't a great leader in sports. He was horrible as the captain of the Indian Test cricket team. You, you think it's because he was yourself. unattractive? Uh, I think, well, uh, let me just give out the case first before I go into examples. Yeah, lay the bona fides. There's a thing in the NFL called the QB face, right? The quarterback face. The quarterback is the leader of the team. He's the person that gets paid the most. He runs the offense. That's the person that, that the team really gets behind, the QB. And what happens when you have the QB face, right? Something that just inspires confidence in the other players. When you when you have this confidence of being good looking, like you go into the media, you say the right things, everyone's like in love with you. If you think if you think about Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, like the best quarterbacks ever, they're all quite good looking, right? And not only does that sort of transpire into their confidence, but it's their game as well. Like their confidence and the confidence they bring to other people. 
And so what we could think of QB face in a more modern context is BDE. If you're good looking and you I have this you confidence... You get a good social feedback loop. You get social feedback, you inspire other people. I think if you have this confidence, people want to get behind you and want to be led by you. Um, I'm not saying that you like it. I, I think that to be a great leader in sports, you have to be good looking. I think it's a confidence thing that comes with it, that comes from all aspects of life and not necessarily just on the court or on the field. Mm. Are there any sports, great sports leaders you would say are not good looking? What do we put? What about Stephen Moore? More? Stephen Moore, the um, the rugby guy, the hooker, rugby guy. <laughs> what do we put? What, at, what, at what point are we saying good looking? Like, if we're going to put it on a scale one to ten, where, where, where does good looking lie? Well, the thing is, my scale. We're saying above a seven. Me and my mate scale is a little bit different. Where we have five is bang average, and then you shouldn't really see a ten ever. I think if you're if you're seven or above, seven or above, where you're going from, okay, now this guy's like. What percentage of the population, if you're going to, if you, uh, if we're assuming a, a, if you're doing statistics, if we're assuming a normal distribution, that's mm. that's that's seventy from the be, from the third. I think Andy's probably saying one. I reckon Andy's saying one standard distribution. One standard uh, deviation towards good looking. One standard deviation towards good looking. If you're above that, if you're above a, a standard Z score of one, one and above, I'd say. So there should be which which would say that there's. Um, so there's 66% of the population within one. So that means you're in the top... Third. Third. Top third. Oh, I was going to say, if you've got 66 altogether, one, yeah, that sides. means that you've got 34 left. So it's 17% on this side. Yeah. So, so you've got to be in the top 17% of good-looking people to be... I'll, uh, I'll, I'll die by that sword. Yeah. Okay, would, would you regard Ricky Ponting as in the top 17, top 17% of good-looking people? I would say he has a, a steely, uh, <laughs> fox-like, <laughs> fox-like demeanor He's a deal. He's what, a deal. What we're going to get Andy to do is we're going we're gonna to name some dubious test captains <laughs> and we're going to get Andy to make some slightly homoerotic comments about them. Okay. Brad Coley. Brad Coley is, is good-looking. I think we can definitely agree that Brad Coley is good-looking. Okay, because obviously, obviously you do have the really good-looking guys, David Beckham's. Um, Who's the guy who kicked a field goal for the... Johnny Wilkinson. He's good-looking. Even Owen Farrell, he is a, he's a good-looking well, dude. Faf de Klerk. Faf de Klerk. Stop it. A lot of people say Owen Farrell basically lost that final for New Zealand, for England. Well, a lot, a lot of people would also say Owen Farrell is extremely good-looking. And he's a very... <laughs> But he's a great leader. Well, they've had they transformed the English rugby program in four years. Him and Eddie Eddie Jones in particular, but Owen Farrell has been the the central player in the transforming English rugby from a pretty like a low, a mid to low tier one side to the second what best team. What about Tim Duncan? Tim Duncan's pretty good looking. He's also oh, like seven foot tall. What about Tracy McGrady? A T Max good looking, I would say. What about Quite Kawhi Leonard is seriously good looking. Not only Kawhi is he Leonard. like not only is he like six seven and jacked, he's got the he's got the jawline for it, he's got the cornrows, he's got he his looks own like look he looks about like donkey him. off Shrek. <laughs> I don't think he does. I think he's got that goofy look about him. I don't think so. And he's defending it. And he's defending it. He's defending with a straight bat, there's no question. <laughs> okay, let me think. I mean Hold on to it, because we've got to find some examples. In the same in the same breath that there's probably some outliers, I would say that, well, it shows your lack of understanding or knowledge of Australian cricket. Um, but what about David Gower? 
David Gower is not a leader, firstly. <laughs> and secondly, <laughs> David Gower... What about Piggy Riddell? Mark Riddell. <laughs> I, look, I couldn't tell you what Piggy Riddell looks like. <laughs> well, I take hear, a guess. His name's Piggy Riddell. <laughs> I hear his voice. Um, but, but Piggy Riddell probably has some mega BDE. He did. He did have the best post trial Yeah, went up into the stands, sat down. Yeah, he started clapping. SK Piggy. So Do you know any other leaders? Maybe it's just a good-looking leader to get media attention as well. Well, it seems like I win, is what it seems like. You reckon like. Joe Root's good-looking, Andy? Yeah, Joe Root's real cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Well, we should leave that to the viewers and, and to, the, to the listeners. See if you can... Some ugly success... They have to be successful. They can't be garbage, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in the same way... Sachin Tendulkar just never really had it as a captain for India. He was always better when he wasn't the captain, and the team also did better when he was not the captain. Okay, Andros, any more words to add to that sentence before we wrap up? No, nope, we're struggling to find the finish here, but it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Deal will let us out. We're taking continuation right from the jaws of finishing. We're struggling to find the finish here. <laughs> all right, this SD card's full. Um automatically the maximum recording time has been reached. I just have to fix that up. Alex, do you want to just do the outro while I fix that? Sure, I'll just do the outro. Um, I just wanted to say a big thank you to all our sponsors, uh, CHP or countryhouseproductions.com. Um, also to, um, who else do we have sponsors? A big shout out as well. I think, you know, AJ Saka and his boys at Kingdom Clothing have just dropped a new collection. So I would say definitely go um, check those it's guys collection out. Collection 4. Collection 4. They're some really good guys. They're out of Western Sydney. Um, it's also fresh AF. It, he wouldn't like me calling it that because that's weird, but it's real fresh, real fresh kit. It's got some fresh, we got some fresh mode. Andy's vibing it. Um, Andy's in stripes, but so is Duke's, so... Um, vertical though vertical yeah compliments his figure um, okay so go check that out we might put a link to that in the description um thanks for sticking sticking with us I think it's been a good wrap today I think you got a good wrap of the week's events I think you got some good analysis in it which you can take forward into the week some things to mull over some journalistic integrity concepts some ideological concepts which might be intertwined with journalistic integrity uh some interesting stories, some Alex Jones validations, uh, and some test captain good-looking rankings, which you can... I'm surprised Andy has been able to defend that. To be which, you can, which you can go over. Uh, anyway, that's it from us. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your drive to work. Uh, and we'll be seeing you next week for the... Hold on, what number wrap is this? This is 27. This is 27. This is, is it 27 or 28? I 27. thought it might be 28. I thought it might be 28. And you're saying 26 on the Google Doc. Anyway, we'll let you know in the title. Catch you later.